1: My name is Dimitri Filipovich and sitting directly across from me for the first uh, in-person show of this 2018-19 season for me, which I always love doing, is my good buddy Patrick Johnston. Patrick, what's going on, man?
0: I don't know much, sitting in a lovely apartment. I feel like we're very cool here. I, I wish there was, like, an
1: audience, and,
0: you know, we're, yeah, we're it's staged,
1: not, it's staged well. It's not that big of an apartment, so I'm not sure how many people we could see in here, mm-hmm. but, like you three? know, we could, get, we could get the Canucks Army alumni. We could, Cam, we could get time. Cam Sherrall Thomas Trance, They Jeff, can't come. Jeff employees. Angus, if he's still around. Jeff Angus. Yeah, that'd be a good one. It's a good crew. Um, I email with Jeff sometimes. Do you actually? Yeah. He's, like, does tennis stuff. Well, we're going to talk about that and a much other stuff i'm glad this is the first shocked. this is the first time i've had you on but now no, you've got no, an official I, said, I had
0: to get a real job first
1: so okay people- i have official takes now people always give me crap for just glossing over this and just jumping right into the show and then they're like this person was great but i don't know what they do should <laughs> i follow them on twitter what what's, what's their deal so let the listeners know um, what patrick johnson does and uh, and then we'll get into the actual show itself well i'm the the newest Writer writer for the vancouver province and the vancouver sun hmm.
0: uh, started in september after some other guy left for some sports startup yep and uh, yeah so i've been doing canucks stuff um there's two of us which means that i'm not on every road trip so currently ben kuzma's on our other uh, on the current road trip but obviously back uh, tomorrow and uh, yeah so i'm going going out on the road next week was on
1: the first road trip and uh yeah you and i know each other from canucks army yep I think yeah. you might be one of my like oldest, both in terms of actual age, but also in terms of how long I've <laughs> known you, friends in the in the industry. It seems about right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because w- we was, started in like
0: 2011
1: or so at Canucks Army. Together. I was
0: t- yeah, t- late late in the playoffs, 2011. Yeah, Drance picked me up and, and then found Cam shortly thereafter, and the mm-hmm. buzz was gone about me. And uh, yeah, because you were what
1: 2013, 2012. Yeah, I think uh, the 2011-12 season at some right. point there. I hopped on board. and you then just some kid with a podcast. And then I really started doing like much more full-time stuff during the lockout in 2012-13, right. okay. which was uh, bad right. timing to really, really get funny. into the industry. But I remember it's really funny. Um, you had and I promise we'll get into current events for people who are like, oh, This is a history podcast, isn't it? But I remember um, one of my first big pieces was writing about why the Canucks should not go hard after Shane Doan and what an era and this was like a big topic of discussion both in Vancouver, but i feel like in the yeah. entire nhl because shane donut hit the open market right. and he was one of the big free agents and he was like weighing right. his options and i was right. like i can't believe this needs to be said but maybe don't give a five-year contract to this guy who was already in his mid-30s because he was really old and he that, really wasn't? fell off the cliff yeah, like shortly yeah. after but i remember like he decided i think he took a bit of a hometown discount yes, to stay in yes. arizona but he still got paid pretty handsomely yeah. considering like what type of player he was yeah. at that point of his career yeah yeah, yeah. and um
0: yeah, I mean, a player that would have been great in his prime, but for the Canucks to add, but not at that point. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I guess, I guess to bring us up to date, yeah, that I got a job at the province, and I've been there for five years. Anyway. Exciting stuff. So yeah. we're
1: gonna, for people that haven't uh, clued in yet, we're going to talk about some other NHL stuff, but we'll mostly focus on the Canucks. And last year, I did a deep dive with Mike Halford, and people enjoyed the conversation. But for the most part, they were like, "How do you manage the squeeze?" A 45 50 minute podcast out of just the Vancouver Canucks they're like the most boring team in the league they're <laughs> a punchline basically and um, at this point it's funny because I was looking at this the other day the team's overall numbers for the most part are nearly identical right. to what they were last year in terms of all the underlying numbers mm-hmm. how they're playing at five, and 5 they're scoring a few more goals yeah. um, but the league generally is and also it's a bit of an inflated shooting percentage that'll probably come down right but yeah, it just, it's crazy to me that they're performing the same way. It's, I guess they're sitting currently in a playoff spot in the Pacific Division, yeah. but at 20 games in, you, you don't know what to make of that. But the discourse around this team and just the national attention, like yes. people kind of like the Canucks now in a weird way. Like yeah. not, I wouldn't say people are head over heels about them, but it's like they're, willing they're to not a punchline anymore. Nice
0: yeah. yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've been thinking about that too. And, and one of the stories, I think, and maybe we'll get into this, but one of the stories, if you look at the numbers especially, is that we know so much more now about kind of how those numbers get built. Mm -hmm. And there are some interesting things that the Canucks are doing. Um, First of all, they, you know, they openly acknowledge, I talked to Jim Benning yesterday and he pointed, say, like the game where they lost at home to Pittsburgh five, nothing. He said, that's a game where we just had to be realistic. Like they're just a lot better than us. Right. And, um, but you look at the games that they've managed to keep close. And there's been things in those games that tell us this team is much further along the road than they were last year in terms of where they're trying to get. And, you know, they're, they're just better skating team, which means that other teams are being forced to make decisions quicker, right. which, you know, better teams on the, on the whole are going to generally come out on top, but You know they're they're keeping themselves closer, I guess, to the race. Yeah, Um, they're not taking as many shots, but they're really trying to focus. Like they're definitely not taking shots off the wing. Mm -hmm. They're just not doing that. They're saying we're going to get the puck into like into the slot as much as we can. I think they're they seem to be going a lot for a lot more what we call the low to high passes, like passes out from below the blue line, things like or below the goal line, I should say. They're just doing interesting things. They're really focused on forcing the play in a certain way conceding shots in a certain way i mean they're still giving away way too many shots in the slot but one of that's one of those is one of those ones where i wish we had more data because i am interested to see what the passing data would tell us about mm-hmm. the shots so there, there's lots of interesting things about the team as and, and as you said like nationally the profile is interesting because of petterson i mean yeah, we're, we're bearing
1: the lead i can't believe we made it six minutes into yeah. this podcast without
0: and he's such a fantastic and he's such a great story like he i mean yes he hasn't scored in the last three games but he had four shots the other night right
1: you know like in each of the past two games, I believe, and obviously, you know, he wasn't going to keep converting one right. out of every three shots he he's, takes into goal. So, yeah.
0: you but, know, but he he's that good. It's just been incredible. And I I, I wrote it. I wrote I, I covered the first preseason game when he didn't score, and I made a parallel with Pavel Burry. because Pavel Berry's first game in 1991, he didn't score either, mm-hmm. but he was thrilling, and fans got out of their seats, and there was a buzz. And then, of course, the first home, the first game of the season against Calgary, that goal that he still, you know, put it over Mike Smith's shoulder. And, yeah. You know, possibly one of the best shots I've ever seen. And and he's kept playing that way. And, and that, that on its own has made it more interesting.
1: Yeah. No, so it's one of those things where you don't want to get too carried away. I believe he's played 14 games yeah. up until this point. He's playing his 15th game tonight when we're recording. And if he had this type of a stretch with 17 points in 14 games or whatever it is, in the middle of the season, like it would still be a big deal. Cause mm-hmm. obviously we rarely see mm-hmm. rookies do that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I feel like the fact that it's happening in his first 14 games, sometimes people can get a bit carried away and make too much of it and expect that he's going to keep doing that. Right. He's going to keep averaging 17 yeah. points for 14 yeah. games. Yeah. And that's obviously not going to happen at least at this point of his career with the teammates he has. But some of the stuff just watching him uh, is I think more impressive than the actual point totals and offensive production. Like that play he made in the overtime against Buffalo. Just right. the just sort of the creativity and also the I don't want to say like audacity, but sort of the willingness to try something like that speaks to like him operating at a different wavelength or yeah. or, or hockey brain capacity than most guys, especially most young guys who are like afraid to make a mistake because they think their coach is gonna bench them if they turn the puck over. And you see this guy in overtime instead of just taking a shot or whatever, like trying to get through three guys and drawing a penalty and you're like that could have gone so horribly wrong, but he's so damn good that he pulled it off and drew a power play. Audacity is exactly
0: the yeah. word. No, I think that's the right word to yeah. use. Yeah, I, I well, think about the seven six goal, the last home game, they right. had, Or the seven six game against the Avs right? Against the Alves when he he did the Sedine thing and he slapped the puck off, you know, took the slap shot dump in to set up Besser for the the goal off the boards, mm-hmm. you know. And I, uh, you know, after the game we talked, every, we all talked. I mean, everybody talked about it, and, and multiple people brought up the Sedins I wasn't the only one and everyone said that it reminded us of the Sedins Patterson claimed he'd never seen the Sedins do it fair enough. I mean <laughs> I mean I, I suppose it's a statement you maybe have been drafted by the Vancouver Canucks yeah. but maybe you weren't necessarily interested in watching the Vancouver Canucks but right. uh, I asked I asked Jake for Tannen about it and and as people may not have discovered and if they haven't they should. Jake is a fantastic quote. He's got He's, he's willing he gives you great comments about stuff, and I asked him, and he said he said, "Oh God, I'd never try that," which speaks I mean he's a confident young player, like lieutenant yep. is a confident young player, but it was an, it was an order of confidence for him. He's just like, "I would never try that." yeah says that and he was saying it, this is how confident in his abilities and how creative a thinker he is, and how, how instinctual his audacity is he says yeah. "Well, let's just try it let's do it and yeah. and, and they did it and it worked i mean even if it hadn't worked even if the puck hadn't even if it hadn't been a goal we still would have been wow what what an idea to try
1: yeah uh, i think in the past i would have said this i think now it's a bit of a cop-out because we are seeing that uh, players who are developed here in north america and play major junior like you watch a guy like matt Barzal, for example right. and he shows that sort of I think, like, Artemi Panarin's one of the best guys at this, just kind of keeping the puck on his stick for a half second longer than you're used to seeing from NHL players because he's that confident and creative with his ability, and it usually leads to different passing lanes opening up and opportunities that other guys would have missed out because they either just fired the puck on that or dumped it in, right? Right. But I do think a bit of that has to, like, the bit of the overseas mentality and obviously playing in a pro league Mm -hmm. at such a young age, like, that clearly gives him a bit of a leg up where, you know, he just turns 20. I don't think he's your typical 19, 20 no. year twenty-year-old hockey player who no. you know was just playing in major junior or NCAA. Like this is a a fully—I well, don't want to say fully formed because I think this this guy's the limit for him moving right. forward. But he's clearly already operating at a different level than most young guys are. The, the cultural thing is an, is an important factor. Sure. I, think, I think it's less. I, I think you're also right. It's less of
0: a factor because, you, as you said, you do see guys that are really trying to drive their skill as being. Yeah, they're, the be, they're being they're, encouraged
1: at a younger level. It's not yeah. being like
0: beaten out of them by yeah. grumpy old yeah. coaches. No, exactly. And I, and, and, but yes, Pedersen in the end is very much an example of a player who has come up through a system. And, and he's, he essentially says it himself. You know, That's my job. My job is to score. Like, that's why I'm here. There's no denying that. Um, you know he does everything the, the fact that he does everything else so well is why he's been so successful why right. he's, you know the fact that he's such a good backchecker you know is something we've all talked about already now but but that's still not why he's there i mean the, the, him being a good backchecker keeps him keeps co- coaches confident right. in him but at the end of the day his job is to score and he's been doing that and and by doing really fun and in really fun ways I should say.
1: So i was i was writing about Petterson uh, today and sort of the overarching theme of my story was, you know, typically hockey sort of propped up as, uh, being the ultimate team game. Right. And, you know, the whole is great in the sum of the parts. And obviously, I mean, compared to a sport like basketball or even football with like a quarterback, even a star player like Connor McDavid, for example, is going to be playing tops 22, 23 minutes right. a night. And as we've seen, I mean, that Oilers had the best player in the world last year and they didn't make the playoffs. They're already struggling again this year. So there's only so much you can do as a great player and a superstar. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes um, hockey fans really champion that idea that hockey is this kind of workmanlike team sport. But at the same time, when you watch what a guy like Pedersen has done for just sort of the uh, prism through which we look at and talk about the Canucks, both at a local and national level, it's clear to me that the NHL still is a superstar driven sport, especially in terms of driving fan excitement, getting people to go to the games, getting them to tune in, open their Twitter and talk about it while it's going on, like so on and so forth. You need those young, exciting players, especially for a rebuilding team to sell hope. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately what this entire thing boils down to. It's like, this team is still not very good. They're probably going to fall out of this playoff race pretty soon, which is fine. They're still rebuilding, but at least now... It doesn't feel like we're being people are being sold a bag of magic beans. Yeah. There's actually something to show for this rebuild, and you know, obviously, Brock Besser last year and the yeah. goal scoring binge he went on is great, but Pedersen is an entirely different animal. Where you can look at him and go, "Okay, this could be like a legitimately foundational player that makes everyone around him better, not just yeah. scores his own goals." And they've pushed the story forward. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, if there was one thing that
0: was, I think, driving everyone nuts was this inability to really openly discuss the need of, of how uh, the need of of selling a new story Mm -hmm. because you know obviously the 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 gillis era ended betting came in there was this discussion oh well we can just we can just continue with that we can extend that which of course worked for you know partly through luck uh partly through the fact the team's actually still pretty decent they made the playoffs one year and then that's been it Mm -hmm. and then they kind of poked at the edges of what they really needed to be doing, which was moving on to the next thing, getting younger players involved. Some of that, yes, admittedly, was the fact there weren't a whole lot of young players coming in. Right. Um, But they still went out and did things like sign Louis Erickson for six years, $6 million. Right. right? You know, like, there was a lack of focus in it. And I think what we're finally seeing now, and, and some of that is helped along with the fact that Sedin's decided to retire, and so the club was forced to think, about themselves in the new terms that they were always going to have to. Yep. Uh, was that, yeah, they've gone and said, nope, this is what we're doing. Now, you know, as I wrote on the eve of the season, like, this is not a team full of kids. Like, they're still not that. They sort of talk in those terms. It's a younger team. Yeah. You know, I think it's 26 Well, just look at
1: how they approached the summer. Right. How but they still money.
0: brought, exactly. Yeah. They still brought in veteran right. free agents. And, and you know, the, you, can, you can quibble with, with that part of the approach. But the focus is now on what the fans wanted to hear, which is that these are the guys for the future. Right. And some of them are here, like Pedersen's here. We're seeing a fair bit of Adam Gaudette. Uh, You know, these are going to be the guys that the team's going to be built around. And and that, okay, this is fun. There's no expectation of playoffs. I mean, there, I don't have no doubt there'll be an expectation of playoffs for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they make it this year is immaterial. But... Uh, it, it is exactly what you were saying that they pushed the story forward, that there was a new, that there's a thread. It's a new era. This is something new. Uh, and it's something that you can, okay, cool. I like this. And and it's honestly, it's fun and more interesting to watch. Yeah. It's, it's pretty simple.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there's finally a reason to watch these Canucks games now. And obviously Pedersen plays a big role in that. And I think, um, even people that aren't Canucks fans will be tuning in just to see him because, you know, if you see enough gifts of him, uh, Hitting, hitting the post and going in or, or dangling in the neutral zone, you're going to want to kind of watch that live for yourself. But I guess here's... Yeah, all. no,
0: that's my tip, by the way. Go watch him live. Like, I'm not even selling tickets. Oh, yeah. Just go. It's you will You're not working it. on
1: commission for, I'm not, for these tickets? No, That's
0: not how it works. <laughs> um, Just go. You'll enjoy yourself.
1: So I know this is like the ultimate uh, contrarian or nerdy analytics guy take, but...
0: You're not one it, of those guys, Is, are you? is
1: it... So obviously, you know, now that they've gone on this road trip, they've lost a couple of games. I think like they've come back down to earth a little bit. Um, You know, for the most part, I think people would still, even the more optimistic fans would generally agree that this isn't going to be the Canucks year, quote unquote, and that they're not at that point of the rebuild. Is a year like this where um, you kind of overperform a bit or you appear to be a bit ahead of the curve in terms of your rebuild? Can that actually set a franchise like this back because... It kind of sells a little bit of that false hope where all of a sudden, let's say they missed the playoffs this year, but they're pretty competitive. They're winning a bunch of games. They're staying close in games. All of a sudden, next summer, if you're Jim Benning, you know, the Aquilini's are breathing breathing down your throat. You're looking at it going, okay, well, we were pretty close last year. So I think this really could be our year, even if you aren't necessarily ready. I I think I think it very much is a challenge to their plan. It's like balancing expectations sort of, right?
0: Yeah, and also, what's your plan? Like, you, did you build out a plan that this is what you want to do? And, you know, I mean, it's a bit like you think about the Leafs when Austin, Austin Matthews accelerated their plan, right? Yep. He came, they not only did, not only did winning the draft lottery, but the fact that he was able to deliver right out of the box. Yeah. That, that acceler- at least one of those accelerated the plan. And in a way, Pedersen may have done that, um, but at the same time there's a real confidence in what they have here there's they, they talk about their prospects now we all I, I you know like everyone else most others have said they need more you should have more yes. because not all of them are going to work out but they're very confident in the ones they have and at least one of them is as good as it gets there's a couple others it looks I mean all you Levy's playing well enough in the AHL that it looks like He's going to be a fine NHL defenseman. I don't know if he's going to be an elite NHL defenseman, but he's going to be a good NHLer. Uh, you know, there's Quinn Hughes Goddard. Like I said, uh, there's a couple other guys in, in Utica that, right. You know, they have, they're high on, but to make a team sustainable, which is the lesson from the Oilers, you
1: need, you need more of everything. Right. So it's, vo- it's like a volume. You're sort of like lottery.
0: Teams. Yeah. yeah. And, and that becomes the question of their plan. So, they get excited about Pedersen. Pedersen is an accelerant; gets things pushing the direction they want to be going in, that they believe they'll be going in. But are they patient? You right. Know, because the, you, you know, I was at, somebody asked me this earlier today. Like, you know, the say the Canucks are in a playoff chase at the trade deadline. You know, does do you start talking about? a big trade hmm. or making some kind of picking up some kind of player.
1: And I said, "Wait, well, positioning the Canucks as a buyer.
0: Well, no, but this was the question. Could right. they be a buyer? And, right. I, and I said, well, no, I said, listen, I said smartly, I, I thought it, kicking the tires on Carlson, kicking the tires on Tavares. Like that's like, you're irresponsible if you don't. Right. They're, they're never going to come here, but you're responsible if you don't. Yeah. You have to be realistic at the same time though, that, You know, yes, you would absolutely love another elite forward. And yes, you'd absolutely love an elite defenseman, you know, but you, at the same time, you have to say like, okay, do you have, if you have the pieces to add it, great. Like go for it. I always think that's the right move, but at the same time. That that win, that narrows your window by doing that because those players are older inherently by going for someone like that narrows you have to re- recognize that narrows your window right um, which of course you know is an argument we're now hearing with the Leafs because of the, where they're at with their contracts and everything so the lesson becomes again if you think if you think Pedersen's put you in a spot that's further down the path than you thought you were originally were yeah. Then you that becomes the equation. Okay, we're in this spot, Pedersen. But the fact is, Pedersen's still twenty, only twenty years old. Right. So on the first year of his deal. On the first year of his deal. So yeah. it's it, to me that the argument forever remains almost certainly with this team because of the fact that there's there's still you know a long way to go. The defense has been playing better. It's better than maybe we thought it was, but it's still a long way from elite. You know, the goal the goaltending is so so at best. Yeah um you need to you need to be realistic about where you're at and not get caught up in the hype that everyone else is yeah is 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 speaking about your team
1: well yeah the canucks are in a bit of a tricky spot there timeline wise just because um you know i guess travis green himself as the coach hasn't been there for as long but with jim benning there um for what is this his fifth year yeah, 2014-15. So there is that season. one playoff appearance, which is kind of a surprise yeah. against the Flames when they lost in round one, but you're getting to the point now where um, it's it's easy for us to look at this and go like, all right, this is just found money. You know, you weren't expecting last Patterson to have this type of rookie season this is great enjoy the excitement but still keep a cool head about it but obviously you know if your job is on the line or if you're feeling the pressure to finally get some of that playoff revenue and have something to show for this team you've been building for a couple of years like it's very very easy if you're that deep into it um, and you have that much on the line to forego that sort of patience and just make up miscalculated trade either at the deadline or in the summer with signings and I guess that would be the ultimate thing here where it's like enjoy this for what it is but also keep some perspective on where you are in the grand scheme of things because exactly. i don't think i mean we're talking talking about the canucks as a potential buyer i mean it's one thing to i guess make the playoffs just yeah. because the pacific division now aside from san jose i feel like it's very wide open but i mean where, where does that ultimately get like get you like what are you trying to accomplish are you trying to accomplish making the playoffs again or are you trying to eventually win a cup or and or at least be a legitimate cup contender and i think the
0: division itself kind of speaks to the story. It says part of the story is, is that I, part of the story is that you, you find yourself in a window where your competition isn't actually all that strong. Right. And, and as a result, maybe you kind of use that to your advantage and that you don't have to stress out too much about making a big move. That the way things are is fine and that you take it. Hey, say, you know what? That's a that's a stroke of luck for us. We can we can put our young our, our team that is, you know, sort of building. We're, we're building towards the future, and we can say, well, let's see how we do in the playoffs. Let's yeah. see how this group does in the playoffs. What lessons can we learn from this group, and not even worry about the idea of going. Oh well, you know, wouldn't it be great if we got a, a true elite top line winger?
1: Hmm.
0: I don't even know there's such a player out there, but just as right. a thought experiment, you don't even have to worry about that because, hey, you played well enough.
1: Your division was terrible, and now so you're in the playoffs. You're saying the Canucks should not be pushing all their chips in for an Artemi Panera, Panera and rental at the deadline? No. no, yeah, I, that I would don't be think a bad that. bad move. Um, as much as it would be fun to have Well, it would be a blast. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how far that would take them. Um, okay, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we will pick this conversation back up on the other end of things. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. And that's why SeatGeek's the way to go because they're going to do all the heavy lifting for you by pulling millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek's can help you get closer to their action for a great value. SeatGeek's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever before. Like I said, they search multiple ticket sites for you. They're going to pull them all together and grade them uh, based on value in this easy-to-use, color-coded map so you can immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for your tickets on SeatGeek with full confidence knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone. and like i've talked about in this podcast i use it many times and i will continue to do so moving forward uh, just recently i've got a couple trips planned i'm going to toronto to record some in person podcasts here in december and that's something to look forward to and then in february i'm going to new orleans for a bachelor party and in both instances i immediately looked up um the schedules for the teams, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans and the Toronto Raptors that I want to go see some basketball games for. And within just a couple clicks and a couple minutes, I was good to go and I got my tickets and now I have something to look forward to. So um, just that easy, that could be you you yourself. And best of all, as my listener, and you get this perk, which I don't unfortunately, is that you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase just for listening to this show. Uh, All you got to do to claim that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. All right. Um, I cracked i well, I'm going to crack it right now. I got myself a... I got myself a beer during that podcast. What a sound. Um, it's a bourbon blood orange wheat ale from Bridge Brewing. Uh, not a sponsor, but it could be if they want to uh, slide into my DMs. Um, I'm, I'm not going to shotgun it in honor of Jake for tannin, but I will slowly sip it and enjoy it as we continue this conversation. So... Enough about the Canucks.
0: Do you have to explain? Shot, people around the league know about Shotgun Jake? Is this something you have to explain? This is something we need to Do you to want to give a quick
1: explainer? I well, feel like people like A couple of local sports personalities
0: it, came up with the idea that every time Jake Virtanen scores a goal this year, they should shotgun a beer. It's become a bit of a movement. People are enjoying something. It's actually been kind of a neat thing to watch. It's been an organic, yeah. non-team-driven, partly because it involves drinking, I guess, but although the team has official hey, beer sponsors.
1: And all for all you wise guys out there that were uh, making fun of the Canucks for taking Jake Virtanen over... Willie Nylander, who's got more goals this season, huh? Hey, who's yeah, exactly. Who's playing? There we on? go. Um Yeah, I feel like the Canucks will have an easier time re- retaining Jake For ten, and then the Leafs will Willie Nylander. Um, eight goals, eight goals. Yeah,
0: on pace for thirty something.
1: Yeah, I think he's gonna do. Yeah, it, right? yeah. I mean, obviously shooting seventeen uh, percent or whatever helps, but I mean, if you look at it, a lot of it's happening around the net, and I think it's part of it is what jim benning and the canucks probably envisioned when they drafted him out of out of calgary he's, right it was like
0: Jake for was gonna jay for i was pretty convinced was always going to be an NHL player yeah. i wasn't sure he was going to be a frontline player and i'm not sure he is now but he's playing good hockey for them and you know what most teams i think would be like to have a player like jake for on their team
1: yeah he's a useful guy i think anyways we're not going to be hatching yeah. um canucks. yeah let's bounce around now because i haven't really talked about this on the show yet uh since joel quenble got let go from his duties by the Chicago Blackhawks, although I feel like it was probably much more of a mutual decision than was reported in some outlets. Um you know, this had been a thing for a while and I've been talking about it since the podcast and anyone that follows the league closely knew that it was a weird uh thing, the kind of like staring contest that was bubbling between Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman. It's sort of a bit of a power struggle and um eventually obviously the GM won. And we'll see how long he himself will last there um you know the early returns haven't been that great as it turns out getting rid of a great coach will not all of a sudden make your team better for no magical reason um you actually got to see the blackhawks yeah up close uh when they visited here in vancouver it was one of quenville's final games with the team i believe he probably coached like a couple more after that i think because it was on halloween itself right that's right yeah it was like a week before he got canned um or six would, days. What would, would you, what would you make of that? Uh, Cause obviously, you know, the team, I guess, got off to a bit of a nice start, but gone, are, long gone are the days of this being a team you pencil in to the Western right. conference finals. And, you know, they finally missed the playoffs last year and they still have some of the big names there, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's a team that's been stripped pretty bare of mm-hmm. any depth they might've had once upon a time. Um, I'm kind of curious for your take on sort of that entire situation. And also, logical landing spots for Joel Quenwell, whether he wants to coach this year or not. Well, first of all,
0: I, I managed to catch the tail end of coach Q's post-game media scrum, which is just in the hallway at Rogers Arena. It's not like behind a podium or anything like it is for the home coach. But uh I leaned in and it had to be one of the quietest. Like conversations I've ever experienced. I think that I sort of turned to someone after I'm like, Nope, that's just how Q talks. Yeah. So, I'm glad I got to experience that. I think, I mean, we've seen, we've seen it here in Vancouver, you know, coaches have, have a sell by date. It just happens. It it may not necessarily be the most big picture, logical decision. You know, you want to make sure that the guy that comes in is better than the guy that left or at least equivalent. Right. Um, Long ago, a coach in another sport once said to me that you have only so many things that you can ever say to a player and a play or to your players, and that at a certain point, they got to find somebody new. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, I, you know, you've kind of laid out the personnel challenges that face the Blackhawks right now, and their aging core, they've got some still unbelievably fabulous players. Right. But an aging core and not a lot. Uh, Not a lot else, and you know, I mean, if if as the stories go, that Q didn't really he didn't want to deal with a young rebuilding team and building towards a new era, and Bowman was angling for that.
1: Well, I think doesn't surprise me. It's remarkable. I mean, obviously, it's a testament to both his coaching ability, but also sort of the situation the organization was in. That he was this was his eleventh season, I believe, behind the bench in Chicago, and as you mentioned, that the tenure for coaches, I believe. I was looking at this at the start of the year. I think there's three coaches now that Quimble's gone that have been with their current team for more than four seasons. That and doesn't I believe me. it's like it's Paul Maurice, yeah. John Cooper, and Peter LaViolette, I want to say, is the third guy. Yeah. And it's remarkable. I mean, most of the turnover happens within two or three years because yeah. either you're a cup contender or, or you know, your window closes yeah. and all of a sudden you're going to be the first one to get blamed, right? And so the fact that he was there for this long is a thing in and of itself. But I don't know. Like I think he's a fantastic coach i mean i thought he came across very well in craig custins's book where he was sort of hanging out with all these various stanley cup winning coaches right. and you know there were all these anecdotes about how like in the final game of the regular season a guy had a performance bonus and he made sure to put him out there for these right. exact situations so right. that you get it and right. you know there's stuff like that where it's like okay you can see why the players would love this guy yeah. but just without even any close interactions with him just sort of following from afar like he always struck me as a great balance of what you'd generally consider more of an old school type just considering how long he's been around the game so he commands a bit of that presence and respect from a certain type of crowd but also he seemed like a pretty smart sort of intuitive well-reasoned guy that would be willing to embrace more modern uh, approaches of analysis and sort of lineup building and stuff so i think that's when you're looking for a coach like that's sort of the perfect thing to meld those two things so you can't have one of either extreme just because you're ultimately going to wind up yeah. if you're not accommodating and not versatile you're going to run out of the league pretty quickly because guys are just stop listening to you
0: it's interesting that you said about the fact that well he'd been there so long and that most coaches i mean it probably comes to no surprise most coaches don't last very long in their job they yeah. get one go and that's it yeah and most teams are not elite and that sort of speaks to it's it's sort of a self reinforcing reality, I suppose, that you're only as good as your lineup. You're only as good as your, how well your coach coaches that lineup, and right. the good coaches are the ones who. I mean, it's a bit of, it's a chicken and the egg. I mean, is is John Cooper a good coach because of his lineup, or because he knows how to handle his lineup? You know, I mean, right. Uh,
1: but it's also a tricky balance because, like, I think Todd McClellan, for the most part, is a pretty good coach, right? I've, had some quibbles with how he's handled a guy like Jesse RV, for example, and some of the stuff he sometimes does. But for the most part, I would say he's in the top half of coaches at least. But when you have a Connor McDavid type, all of a sudden you have much different expectations for how good that team needs to be. So if you don't live up to them, that can also really uh, cut into your shelf life as a coach because you either need to... Win a title or compete for it, or you're going to be gone, and they're going to try to bring someone in to replace you. I mean, look at what's happened in Pittsburgh over the yeah. years with trying to get the most out of Crosby and Malkin, and how many yeah. coaches have come and gone because they couldn't until they ultimately settled now on on Sullivan.
0: Yeah, which I mean, again, a funny one because it's like, well, you know, I mean, Mike Johnston was trying some stuff and it didn't work out, right? And, you know, but, you know, it's that it's that endless thought experiment. What if Willie Desjardins had gone there? Because Willie is the ultimate hands-off coach, yeah. You know, and and he goes into into. Pittsburgh and just lets his two star players run the, you know, maybe, maybe it's a completely different story there. Is Mike um, Johnson
1: back in in Portland? I, I should know this because I am LinkedIn man. friends with him oh. and he always posts these videos like coaching one hundred and one. Oh, I feel um, like he's back with the, with the, with the Winterhawks. But. I don't know. You'd have to have Steve Ewan.
0: You have to have him. Yeah. In. But, uh, no, it, the, the, for the churn, the churn in the league is in, in coaching is, is, you know, I mean, it's, it, it tells you. First of all, there's a lot of coaches that people think are NHL quality coaches, mm-hmm. and it also tells you that well, there's only 31 jobs. There's only 31 jobs, yeah. and and that at the end of the day, most teams most teams are grasping for what they're trying to figure out what's wrong with their team, and that and that. So for for Quen, I mean, Quinnville won. I mean, that's the difference, right? right. You keep winning, it's going to keep you in the job you know the, the the fact that he liked his players got along with his players speaks well to him you know i I think that again i mean a guy like John cooper clearly is gets along well with his players um but it's more than you know i there is more to it than that it it's it's under it's being a fit in your organization um you know the organization having a sense of what it wants to be where it's trying to go where it's trying to go yeah what the coach is for uh and you know, for a long time, when Phil and the Blackhawks were one and the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, the uh, whole personality or psyche thing can sometimes get overblown for players. But I do believe that, you know, behind the bench, that's one thing where like, you do need to find the right fit with the personality yeah. and, and sort of how that's going to mesh with the players you do have and where you're at in that trajectory. Uh, I remember when we saw when, when Boudreau uh, was like, go by the capitals, I believe within like 24 or 48 hours or whatever, right. he was scooped up by the ducks. And I imagine the fact that Joel Quimble doesn't have a job yet as of this recording speaks much more to the fact that, you know, he's getting paid pretty handsomely by the Blackhawks and he probably he hasn't had time off in a long time. So I'm sure he's enjoying this and he's probably going to kind of sit back and wait for the perfect opportunity to arise. But, yeah, I think that speaks much more to his choice than. uh teams not being interested because i imagine if he said listen i want a job right now i imagine probably like at least 15 teams call him, even if they're happy with their current coach just to check and see if uh quenville might want to take over their job well i mean you want
0: to talk about personalities talk about the ultimate person we think of personality when it comes to john tortorella mm-hmm. he lasted one year in vancouver but he was the coach for four years in new york he's been the
1: coach in columbus for four years and a great example of you can teach an old dog new tricks Yeah, and people can evolve because I used to make fun of John Tortorella all the time on this podcast. And I think justifiably so based on what we knew and heard about him. And I got to see, I was, I was actually covering the Canucks full time Yeah, um, as the managing editor of Canucks army while he was here. Mm-hmm. And that was a train wreck. Yeah. And I think he's even admitted himself. That was, it was a self-imposed train wreck because yeah. he was not committed to that job at all. And he was yeah. sort of in this weird crossroads of his coaching career and he took some time off and, Now the job he's done in Columbus, I think, you know, just everything you hear and sort of the coverage you see from people covering that team, like, I wouldn't say he's the most progressive guy still by any means, but I think like he's at least opened up or warmed up a bit to the idea that there's, the game has evolved. And um, so the fact that he of all people was able to go through that transformation um, is very telling for sort of what it takes to be a successful coach over a long period of time in this league and that it's possible.
0: Yeah,
1: and again
0: why and it's remarkable i mean even even him i mean he's lasted he's had some good stints in a couple of places i think he was seven years in tampa when yep. he first started uh, but again you know the personality is a lot and the ability to connect with who you are and success is a huge part of it and and there are certain people who stay in the league and there's certain reasons why and i have no doubt that Joel Quenwell, if he wants to coach again. I mean, how
1: long he, we, he was in St. Louis for a really long time too, wasn't he? He was. Well, so I imagine this is the obvious kind of pivot question here. It's what's the best fit for him? And I imagine he's asking himself that question right now, looking around the league. And I think, I'd imagine if I was in his shoes, I'd be looking at the Edmonton Oilers. And I'd be thinking to myself, boy, it'd be fun to coach Connor McDavid yeah. for the next however many years, I get the good fortune of doing so. And, um, you know, there's obviously roster flaws there, and I don't think their GM is the guy to uh, to fix them. But if you're Joe Quenville, like, that seems like the type of opportunity that uh, might be once in a lifetime. He's coached some great teams, obviously, and great players. But, I mean, whenever you get a chance to coach the best player in the league, especially at this age where... You know, it's not like you're inheriting a guy who's 29 years old and you're like, okay, I don't want to necessarily get anchored down by a declining team. Like, there's reason to believe that the Oilers are on the trajectory upwards, at least, uh, with some of the young players they have. So I think that's like the most obvious fit. Is there anything else around the league in terms of because most of the good teams that are intriguing probably have like firmly entrenched coaches? Like, yeah, obviously Tampa Bay or Winnipeg would be great but I can't really see John Cooper or Paul Maurice, who I just right. mentioned as the two no. longest tenured coaches now yeah. going there and you ain't going anytime soon. So it's like there aren't too many very desirable teams. Like St. Louis is interesting and he's been linked to that, but I don't think that's the type of roster where you look at it and you go, okay, I can win a cup with this team immediately. I don't think Mike Yo is the thing that's stopping them from doing yeah. so.
0: Carolina.
1: But I mean, but just, I mean they've just hired Ron yeah, Rindamore.
0: Exactly. They've turned over their, their good management, star, new and, owner. You know, that's the kind of team. I, I mean, they are sure a fun team to watch. Florida, maybe. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it's t- t- this. It's an interesting one because he's. I just looked it up. He's he's sixty. Yeah. Right. This is this is the next job is probably his last job.
1: Well, if he's there for another eleven years, it is for sure. <laughs> right. But I mean,
0: you know, say say he goes in and says, "I'm going to be a coach for five more years." Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe he won Yeah. Maybe maybe two. Maybe he's got two more gigs, but realistically, the next gig is going to be his next job. So it's not going to be going into a
1: mess like L.A., right? Yeah. Nor no, nor, I think, yeah, there would be any appeal for, for
0: no. that at this point. Poor, and, poor Willie. Um, you know, and you're, so you're right. So you sit back and think about, it. okay, well, may, yeah, maybe, it, maybe it's a lineup like Edmonton's, but I don't get any sense there's any interest in getting rid of Tom McClellan. Right.
1: Um, See, I think, like, I this is like the ultimate like armchair fantasy booking but I saw right. someone online going like oh what if uh you know Steve Eiserman and him went to Detroit and Steve Eiserman obviously right. took over as GM and he took over as coach. I think that team is still a bit too far away in the process yeah. for like that to make a lot of sense for him I'd say like that's still a a reclamation project, right? Like
0: yeah, I mean it's sort of the profile of it would be high but the actual um the actual chance of success is low. I mean there's nobody the, yeah, there's nothing that jumps out at you saying, "Oh, Detroit's the team of the future," right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's not, it's not, it's not clear to me what the real, true options are out there because, as you said, like, there's a lot of pretty, there's a lot of like solid fits, mm-hmm. you know, like we've mentioned Torts, we've mentioned Sullivan, we've yeah. mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned if you think about a few other teams, you know, like Mike Babcock's not going anywhere. Right. You know, Claude Julien's having success in Montreal.
1: Yeah, I guess like maybe a you know Boston with potentially, but I feel like you know Bruce Cassidy hasn't been there for that long, and they've been successful enough that I feel like like they don't. They're not a
0: team that you sort. I mean, they're not a team where you say, "Oh, they they need a coaching change." I mean, there are examples of teams that are doing really well that what they really did need was a new coach, and they fired their coach despite everything. But no, I, I don't think Boston's that team.
1: I guess the Flyers maybe. Flyers could be interesting. Know. Yeah, Flyers
0: could be. They interesting. They have the talent. Yeah, Hackstall is. You know, I think people were not he- huge fans of his. Yeah, um, Buffalo. But Phil Housley, you know, has actually found some stuff this year. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you I could,
1: think Edmonton. I keep coming back Edmonton to that. Is, is uh,
0: probably yeah. I mean, it's not going to be Colorado.
1: It's yeah. not going to be. He's, not He's listing there. all 31 teams? All yeah, right, let's, let's just go, go through uh, all the teams. He's
0: not going to go to Arizona. It's not going to be San Jose. Yeah. Anaheim?
1: I would not want to latch myself onto that as potentially my last job. Yeah, I mean, you, you know.
0: I mean, Anaheim. to me, Anaheim's an interesting one because there's a, there's enough chatter around. Like, they're just things are not going well there. And there's enough chatter about Carlisle.
1: Yeah, like... I think it's very easy uh to make fun of Brendan Carlisle and he makes it easier yeah. upon him uh makes it easy for us. I think there's only so much you could realistically do with that roster like I think they could be better than they've shown, and obviously getting healthy would be a good start for that, but at the end of the day, I think even the best coach in the world with a healthy ducks roster could only take that team so far right. just
0: based on the way it's been assembled like they're pretty i mean being so reliant on the goalie
1: is a pretty big yeah. story there isn't yeah it? and like aging guys who just are getting phased out of this league yeah it's a it's tough um we're now rapidly approaching the holiday season and for many of you out there myself included that means you're about to realize that you need to start scrambling to figure out what to get for your loved ones fortunately me is around to help you knock your gift giving out of the park this year thanks to their unique combination of style comfort and affordable cost let me tell you exactly why you're going to want to get those you care most about, some MeUndies to stay cozy in this holiday season. MeUndies uses the coveted Micro modal fabric, which is three times softer than cotton. If you've never felt this fabric, get ready to experience pure bliss in underwear form. MeUndies actually sent me over a couple pairs uh, earlier before we started this ad campaign, and I got to tell you, they've completely won me over, and I fully intend on going back and getting myself some more because... I don't want to be wearing anything else. They're just that comfortable. And this year, MeUndies is actually releasing a new print every Tuesday. That means you'll have no excuse not to celebrate the holidays right down to your very core and get super festive. But why stop at just undies? This year, MeUndies is also launching their holiday prints in lounge pants and onesies as well. And both are made from the same micro modal fabric as their undies, so they're going to be just as comfortable and just as soft. And the best part of all is MeUndies actually has this great offer for my listeners right now. For any first-time purchasers, when you purchase any MeUndies, you get 15% off. It's a no-brainer. You get 15% off a pair of the most comfortable underwear you're ever going to put on, and you're going to be running back to get more as soon as you try them out. To get your 15% off your first pair and 100% satisfaction guarantee, just go to slash pdo That's slash pdo Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, here's another interesting you're done with me listing all the teams in the Yeah. NHL? Yeah. Uh I don't think Coach Q needs our advice. I think he can uh, he can <laughs> handle himself. Um, here's another parlor question. So, Elliot Friedman, on this week's 31 Thoughts, brought up the idea of um, playoff expansion. And the gist of it was, I think, the top six teams. So, the, the top three teams in each division all get in. And then the two wild cards basically... Um, in each conference, will wind up playing the teams, the two teams who just missed the cut, um, in like a best of three or whatever. Okay. With, with that, with the teams that were the wild card teams having home ice or whatever, right. it's basically sort of like what they're doing in what they did in baseball, right. where they just it's a playing game. They're right? just trying to play in games, yeah. And I'm kind of curious for your take on it because I can obviously see both sides of the argument for you know the old school traditional type or sort of wanting to not make it too easy to make the playoffs because right. i do understand if you're gonna have 82 games what's the point the, play, of the, fa- games, the, the prospect yeah. of then playing another yeah. like in baseball especially the yeah. idea that you play 162 games and then you play one game yeah. is bonkers to me yeah. but at least yeah. in this case 82 and then you play like a best of three or whatever like that can make some sense and i can understand it from a fan interest perspective from driving revenue like yeah it seems like it seems like a great business opportunity is what i'm trying to say um, and as a fan, like it would be fun, yeah. I think. I I guess. I, 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 you
0: know me. I'm a huge fan of crazy, wild ideas. Yeah, I, I like I like seeing new and different things happen. I guess this to me, I'm pretty lukewarm on because of the fact that I'm not a hard no. Because of like I said, I like I like very. I like trying new stuff. I'm team chaos, but. At the end of the day, the season—the season in its totality, not just the 82 games but with the playoffs—is already so long yep. that unless they're talking about shortening the regular season, which they would never do, um, I, I, I do not I don't see the point. I, 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 you know, you're going to sell a few more tickets m- in a few more places, maybe. Yeah. Like I guess I guess the teams, you know, you, you're going to play best of three or whatever. You know, you're going to sell. You're going to have one or two more dates to sell tickets to.
1: So here's my alternative proposal because I, I agree with you. I think the concept that's currently being discussed, other than making a couple cheap bucks, doesn't ultimately really do anything and for I us would as be fans.
0: Skeptical. I mean, I'm not just not sure because I mean, I, there's, they have a hard enough time selling tickets in a lot of places, and I, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, I really, I mean, yeah, I, you look at. I mean, look at
1: these Canucks games right now. I mean, well, I mean, that's what's the what's the ter- what's the turnout that, been like this year? That
0: at a certain level. That at a certain level is a different argument. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. There's been a lot of there. There's still a lot of empty. I mean, they haven't had a lot of home games for one. They right. played. I think you are telling first, me
1: you can't find seventeen thousand people who want to watch Elias Petterson?
0: for the well. People don't know who he is yet. I mean, that's part of the story, I right? Think. But
1: well, that's um, on that's on you to introduce I the people to Elias Petterson. But I don't sell t- What t- are you doing here I talking I'm to me? Get to out t- there. Yeah. Anyway,
0: no. Uh that's a issue, but there, right. there are a lot of places around the league that have low ticket prices and still have a hard time filling seats. Yep. right. And you know, people love pointing out pointing to places like Florida or Arizona, but like I saw a Detroit game earlier this week where there weren't a lot of people in those stands. Yikes! You yeah, know? at
1: the Little Caesars,
0: right? Whatever. You it know, is. it's 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 not a it's not you know, it's a league that. You know, it has a lot of fans. It does well, but there's a lot of places where they're not rocking every night. And so, to me, opening the rink up—I mean, I can get it. That's why they would want to sell more tickets. But I'm not convinced that it's going to be a sellout. You know, so and also, I also from from the sort of you know aesthetic perspective, the first round of the playoffs you know, NHL
1: playoffs is so much fun. Yeah. The first round is the best too, when you have like four games on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And
0: you know, even, but this
1: wouldn't necessarily eliminate it.
0: I just, I'm not, I'm not saying eliminates it. I just, I just, I just wonder what it would do. Like what it would do. Would it, would, would it just shift the buzz? Would the buzz still be there? And we just have this, we'd have to wait a whole extra week. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, to me, one of the, one of the strengths of what makes this, the first round of of the Stanley cup playoffs works is that it comes almost right away. The season's over. Yeah. There's kind of and the NHL's always done a good job of kind of having a fantastic kind of crescendo end of the season. Things happen. There's always a, some fun stuff the last yep. week. A Couple of races get settled, and then boom, we're in the playoffs, yep. and it's the beginning of this fantastic marathon. And and it's such a good start. And so if you added some weird little mini play-in round, yeah. It just I don't know. It just to me I I feel like it
1: would just become a unloved stepchild. So here's my counter proposal. I love those. So we do have the play in games, but you're not doing it based on the ninth and 10th teams in each conference getting to play in. You're doing sort of, you've seen this idea of um, the gold model for drafting where it's like in the second, after you're eliminated, the better you are, the better pick you get to reward teams for not tanking. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested in something like that, whether not necessarily when the team gets eliminated, but maybe the second half of the season or something, the teams that have played the best in the second half get like a set, like get like a lifeline or a second chance. And maybe this is just like a best of the teams that miss out. Yeah. So this is maybe just a recency thing, but like, I think it would have been fascinating entertainment and storytelling to have there as in a coyotes last season. Right, get to potentially play in the playoffs because you know they obviously stunk at the start of the year. Right, I think they lost like their first ten games, and at that point you're pretty much out of it. But then they were like the hottest, most successful, most exciting team right. in, the, in the final six right. weeks of the season, and I think it'd be very interesting to see a team like that get rewarded. No, obviously I think there's going to be very few instances of teams like that because I think for the most part the teams that do the best in the second half of the season will probably. Right. Like generally, there's not that big of a variance between the first and second half for crappy teams. But I think something like that would be much more appealing to me than just this idea of because you're ninth place, you all of a sudden get a second chance at like that. I get because
0: you just missed, because you yeah. lost six of your
1: last seven yeah, games. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, you should have won an extra game. Like, yeah. To
0: me, that's the thing, though, is like you're going to end up with teams like that, that, you know, if, you, if it's nine versus eight versus nine and seven versus ten or whatever. Yeah. Um, at least one of those teams is a team that basically hit the wall and couldn't finish it out, right? Yeah. There's always a team that just, you know, or lost 11 their lost 12 or whatever. Like, why does that team deserve to be in the playoffs?
1: No. And I'm, I'm all for any system that rewards regular season excellence. Like, if you are going to insist on playing 82 games, yeah. make it count for yeah. something beyond home ice all the way through. Like, I think you... I think the league should be stacking the deck more in those teams' favors, to be honest. The President's trophy's not enough? Well, when's the last time the President's trophy team won the Stanley Cup? Know. I feel like it's been forever, yeah. Is it really? I mean, yeah, you always hear this stat about how it's like it's the they always anymore. generally lose pretty quickly in the playoffs. Yeah. So it's uh it's tough. And that's the thing. It's like a seven game series. Does that better determine who was the best team in the twenty no, in, in a fun. given season? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more chaotic. Um, One more quick break here, and then we will finish the show up on the other end. Puckpedia.com has recently launched and quickly become the ultimate resource for hockey fans. Whatever it is you're looking for, chances are they probably have it, ranging from salary cap information, uh, player salaries, basic and advanced stats, draft and transaction history, news feeds, game previews, scores, injury news, so on and so forth. They've got it all. They've also uh, become the exclusive home of the agent leaderboard, which is one of my favorite perks and features, which shows who the top agents are and lists all the players that each agent represents. When I'm prepping for the show, uh, I used to have to open a million different tabs and bounce around from one website to another, trying to satisfy my needs and find all the information that I needed as I was scrambling to prep for the show. And now with Puckpedia around, fortunately, it's really become my go-to resource for it's user friendliness for how easy it is to navigate and for the fact that it has pretty much everything i need in just the one place so whether i'm looking for uh, you know what Elias petterson's performance bonuses are and when he's going to hit them or you know who alex edler's agent is and who represents him and sort of trying to figure out looking ahead how this upcoming trade line is going to go and whether he's going to waive his no trade clause and whether he'll stay with the canucks moving forward uh, all that stuff is right there and very easy to find and use So. Whether you're preparing for a podcast such as myself or have even lighter needs, such as just trying to search something up to fact check and help win an argument with your friends or satisfy your own curiosity, Puckpedia.com is the place to go. Uh, Follow them on Twitter at Puckpedia. Uh, They are constantly tweeting out useful information on signings and news, and it's a good way to kind of stay at top of all the information as it's being released in real time. That said, uh, let's get back to the show. Okay. So we did Joel Quenville. We did the new wacky playoff theory. Let me um tell me about covering the team in terms of the travel and, and uh, going to different arenas. And I know you've obviously now had the good fortune of um, you know seeing various various teams up close in different arenas and so and so on and so forth. What's because you've obviously this is your first season doing this particular gig and. I kind of want to know about your, uh, this is just two buddies catching up. I want to know about your first six weeks on the job beyond your beautiful vacation you just took in Mexico. It was, uh, yeah, well, I had a good time in Mexico. Thanks for asking. Um, I didn't know, see the Canucks on the schedule there. I don't know. Is oh, that, no, I didn't
0: have to go on that road trip, mm-hmm, did I? Yeah. Covering the team uh, has, has been, it's been interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, someone who grew up as a fan, and then, uh, as an adult, obviously have morphed into someone who writes about the team and thinks about the team in in terms that are different. Um, and then you know, so you know, between Canucks Army, and then even when I was at the you know the province, it was mostly a what we call a you know, web editor. That my job was to essentially help run the website and do some copy editing of other people's stories. And sometimes you write stuff, and and if there was time, you got to write you know, bigger pieces. And, and so, you know, there were, there was always something I would write about the Canucks from here and there and from time to time and always, been you know, numbers inclined guy. So I'd write about uh, the Canucks from that perspective. But yeah, the fact that I do this every day, um, that's my job. I have to sit and think about it. What do I, what do I want to say? What is there to know? What are people wondering about? Uh, that that's been, it's been a fun, interesting, challenging experience. Um, and, and then taking on the road, you know, you, you learn a new routine because, you know, the expectation in terms of in in terms of what you're producing is, you know, for for work, um, it's 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 the same, but it's also, you know, you're there. The fact that you're being paid to be with the team makes a difference. You know, you're, you're not hanging. It's not like the old days where. Yeah, you're hanging out with the you're players. Just hanging out at the bar. I mean, yeah. I mean, the story, the stories you hear, it's hilarious from the old days. You know, from 30 years ago when, when, you know, before the players were making all the money they were making. Often the writers made more money than the players, and the writers had an expense account, and that's right. why the players were hanging out with you. Yeah, and before social media, and yeah. before you know, and it's, yeah. you know, and of course, all that too as well. But you still see them. You know, you think about like Tampa, the hotel we stayed at in Tampa. Uh, was actually the same hotel as the team. Usually, that's not the case. The team is usually, you know, the team stays at quite high, nice, high end hotels. Um, you know, you're booking nicer. You know, i have stay at Marriott. I'll stay at a, you know, but also stay at like, you know, the Fairfield Suites or whatever, or right. Winnipeg or whatever. You know, you're sort of staying where it's convenient. Sometimes it's nice. Sometimes it's whatever. Um, but that was, you know, that was kind of a funny one because there they are, and they're kind of there. Where are you? And You'd run into Jim Benning on the elevator and you'd say, hey, how's it going? And, you know, you'd have a nice little conversation. And that was not, you know, that was an in, that was something that you don't necessarily get here because, you know, they live, you know, the players live around town. But, you know, obviously, you're not generally watch, seeing them on the street, The right. you know, coaches and people live, you know, they might be, you know, someone listening to this podcast might have a, team executive as their neighbor or they might have a player as their neighbor. Right. But that's not a common thing. So, you know, that was kind of a interesting, that was it. That was an interesting moment on the trip. Um, you know, and then you, you you know, finding out how to get into a rink. (laughs) Thankfully, you know, local, you know, one of the local TSN radio guys, Jeff Patterson here. Yeah. He did it all last year. He does every game. Jeff's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: He goes to every game. And, um, So Jeff had figured out where to go in most rinks. And so he was actually really helpful just saying, hey, just so you know, the gate that you need to find is on this side of the building. And, you know, you go in and these, you know, most places really helpful, really friendly people. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. You just go down there and, you know, you figure out where the media room is. You figure out um, how to kind of get around uh, the the rink itself. Uh, You know, you. Most people sit in the same kind of spot, but it's kind of neat to kind of wander around and get a different sense of what yeah. the buildings like. You get a sense of how different buildings are run. Um, you know, they, they, the, there's a meal available for you to buy at most most right. rinks.
1: Well, uh, I'm curious. So, yeah, you know, you obviously had access to the team and you cover them even yeah. before the season, but now, much more on a sort of regular, full time mm-hmm. basis, you are seeing the same faces. Right. Um, you know. I'm kind of curious about for the purposes of doing your job. Obviously, you know, players have for the most part been pretty trained at this point of their career to say the right things or sort of not necessarily tell you actually what's in your mind or what would make for a great story because Mm -hmm. it doesn't really behoove them to do so. Yeah. Um, And that's why part of our job is to get that out of them in some capacity. And,. Um, you know, you obviously become familiar with personalities and sometimes you know, okay, maybe if I phrase it in this certain way, right, this will resonate more with this particular yeah. player, or you sometimes you know, yeah. like, this guy's a no-fly zone, like, there's no... Yeah. You can ask him in any which way you want in any language, but he's not going to yeah. give you anything good. But, like, sort of, how has that interplay gone on in your first six it's, weeks? It's like, been, I'm very curious about that. It's
0: been pretty good. I mean, yeah. some, some of the people might have seen Sven Berchi's reaction to one of my questions, which I was straight up trying to confirm that the Deke went as planned, and, and, you know, I mean, I understood his reaction. In hindsight, it was a loss. Uh, you know, they, the team had lost, and he called it a rude question. <laughs> but we talked about it. You talk about it. You know, it's good. There's a, there is a dynamic, and you talk about it afterwards. And, and um, you know, I, I think, you know, from their, from their perspective, I understand why they can be standoffish. Because while talking to the media is sort of a required part of their job, it's a weird part of their job because they just play hockey. And right. I know that people are talking about hockey. Um, you know, the fact that we're kind of quizzing them about their job performance every day, I can understand why that might be um, why that might grate some people. Yeah. And so, yeah, as a result, you get, there are guys that just, you know, they're just not worth interviewing. There are guys that are, Already, clear. I mean, they're clearly worth interviewing because they're always happy to talk. That, that's their natural personality. I already mentioned, Yeah. you know, I mentioned Jake and I mean, Antoine Roussel has emerged locally as a guy. And I'm sure people who listen from Dallas know that he's a funny, you know, funny person who's confident in talking. Uh, and, and so, you know, sort of to go back to the original sort of premise of your question it was like, how do you, you know, dealing with them every day? I mean, I'm, big, I, I, I'm a big believer in essentially asking what happened.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, tell I'm, me, tell me about your day. Right.
0: You know, but like, I used to hate that when I'd come home, my mom would be like, tell me about your day. Yeah. You I'm know, like, <laughs> but like you're sitting from above. I said, I saw this, you know, we saw this goal, like the yeah. Patterson goal, I asked for Tannen. like, what do you, what do you sit and think about on the bench? You know, and it, and it's, it's, it's a, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's a bit of a news reporter's trick, you know, tell, what were you thinking about? Yeah. You know, and you try to help people through their own process. And so that, that actually, because, because people like talking about stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and often too, you, you learn, cause there's always a few of you. It's never, I mean, you can make it one-on-one about certain things, but when people are involved in a, a controversial goal or a penalty or whatever, um, you know, there's a few of us and, you know, I, I would say most, most players in the end are pretty honest, mm. Like there were, I think we were in you know I can't remember I can't remember where, I can't remember where it was but the, you know Dick and Markstrom had had a bad, bad game and he that he actually was the, the wild seven six game right uh, victory over Colorado and he said well you know I wish I had something to do with that win you know and he was honest yeah and you know it's smart on their part because it kind of deflates the kind of old the old school which was to kind of badger the guy right. you know, kind of deflates that kind of which is smart on their part but and it helps you tell your story. I'm not, I mean, to me in the end, it's like, I'm trying, you know, when I'm writing, say I'm writing a game story, you know, everyone, everyone watched the game. Yeah. Right. What I'm trying to do is trying to add something that maybe they missed something that was interesting. Yeah. Something Provides I think. Some, provide some context. Right. Something I think it helps under explain. We we call it the, what we learn format. We chunk it out. So it's kind of ends up being four or five things. I try to put some sort of actual, you know, statistical performance based stuff you know so talk about who had a good night in terms of shot attempts right who maybe someone was having a hard time in shot attempts why that's a problem um you know there's a couple other guys out there now that track micro stats and I'll be talking to them during the
1: game what do we think about so and so or whatever right. and I'll try to throw that in but see like and I do I get it like after a game especially if it might not have gone the way you would have liked as a player like I'm sure the last thing you want to do is you know, you're sitting there all sweaty or maybe you just got out a shower and it's like, now nah, I have to deal with all these cameras yeah. and all these questions and you don't really want to talk about it. You just want to yeah. decompress. Like, I get it. I think, um, and obviously, you know, that's part of the job and I, I, I still think there's a place for it. Like, I just, I'm not sure what the right answer is, but for example, I'll give you a great example of this, um, I forget when it was, it might've been during the preseason player media tour thing that happens or whatever. But my good buddy, Alex Pruitt had a thing with Nikita Kucherov right. where he got to sit down with him for a bit more of an extended period of time. Right. Right. And they like went back and rewatched some of his previous goals from the prior year or right. assists. I think he had, cause he didn't want to talk about his goals. And, um, <laughs> and you got to like sort of, you kind of get um, a peek behind the curtain or sort of a look into what makes some of these players Tick in terms of right. what he's and so they went like frame by frame and he's explaining what he saw on the ice yeah, and yeah, he yeah, like yeah. remembers yes. it and and so stuff like that is uh, I think just so insightful and cool and you get this view into this player's mind and you sort of get this added context to what you saw happen on the ice and so stuff like that I understand why obviously at the end of a game you can't do, be doing stuff like it's that but obviously you when you, but especially if you're covering the team especially if it's you know they have a four day break or something and a bunch of practices like stuff yeah. like that is like you know, I, it's not my my job. My job is more much more is sitting at home and sort of yeah. analyzing from there. But, like, yeah. I do I would give a lot of respect to the people who do that on a full-time basis, on a day-to-day basis, because I think there are a lot of useful nuggets to glean from it.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> no, but, no, but
1: I mean, I, you no, but I mean... I'm just buttering you up. Thanks. No, to me,
0: that's kind of what I was trying to get at, was that at the end of the day, like, post quotes mostly
1: are not that useful. And the people asking the questions usually know it, and they just need to hit these... Yeah. So they can put the quote in the story. And so, there are some old school
0: narrative yeah. reasons for it that mostly I try to avoid. Yeah. Um, and that I try to say, you know, because now, especially now that you, once you know how the routine works, you know, so whether home or away, it's the same. So the game's over, you know, the, the team has, is allowed to keep the room closed for five minutes and then, and then you're in and it's, it's basically you, in theory, you can get anybody you want. Um you know, I, people have probably heard this, but NHL locker rooms now at home, you know, they, they set up two rooms. Mm-hmm. They, they change in a different room. They put on all their, their like, I mean, they're not even long johns, but like their workout, workout, They people would recognize them as workout clothes. Yeah. You know, they have leggings and, you know, long sleeve shirts Yeah, and they change into that in the other room. And then they come in to the room where their hockey gear is and they put on their hockey gear. And, you know, it's, it always amazes me that we get the five minutes and we get in and there's like 80 percent of the room is now empty. Yeah. Those guys have scrambled. And and in those five minutes, you know that the coach has come in and said something. And that maybe one of the players has said something. So these guys literally are just it's almost like they like it's like they probably have like it's like they have a parachute. Like they're, yeah. they're pulling the zip line and it just boom, all their clothes, all their gear falls off. And they're like, but you know what? You know, I get it because, like, yeah. there's certain guys that hang around because they know they're going to be want to talk to. Usually, it's you know, usually the media guys, like, it's probably going to be this guy and this guy. Yeah, But, you know, you can ask for other players. And so players will come back and you'll talk to them. Sometimes they're still in their workout gear. Sometimes they're in there already in their suits and in a shower or whatever. Um, but you do that. And then the coach talks. And you kind of know how that routine goes. And, and, you know, there's always the obvious questions and someone will ask the obvious question. And then you've got something else you're curious about, something you're thinking about. I mean, the way we do it at our papers, yeah, we do a game story. Like I said, this is what we learn thing. We send it out the door. Um, Usually I don't have to put any quotes back into that because it's going in the paper and the paper has to be printed. And by the time the game's over... Yep. You don't have time. Sometimes you'll go back. If there was a fun little thing that someone said, you'll throw it in. Um, and then I do a, a post game story. I call it Canucks at Night, and I try to have a bit of everything. And it's a bit of you know a few uh, conversations with a couple of players, you know, some stat stuff, something that maybe was interesting that the coach said. Um, and you go with that, and and that's kind of becomes your routine. And once you learn how that flow works. You start understanding, okay, here's what I can actually achieve in terms of what I'm trying to do in terms of telling the story of the night and also having that play into the story of the season, which, of course, is an ongoing rolling right. entity on its own. Um, and then, yeah, and then, and then as you said, you know, some days you might have a couple of days off. I mean, that happened on the road trip. So we had that, that, the road to the Canucks, that first Canucks road trip was really weird because there were no back-to-backs, and in fact, there were two extra days. So um I picked it up in Carolina. They had an extra day in Carolina. Uh then we went we had you know, they played in Carolina, then it was we traveled one day, game in Tampa, traveled one day, game in Fort Lauderdale, uh, and then there was another day off. There was an extra day off in Pittsburgh, and that gave you an extra day to travel. And that of course that was in the middle of the whole Pedersen concussion uh story. And so you're you're sort of on those days off they, you know, the Canucks or, sorry. NHL teams get a prescribed day off every week. So one day off, they don't practice. They don't do anything. The players are allowed to go do whatever they want. Yeah. So Play you're Fortnite? uh, well, if you're the Canucks, not
1: on the road. <laughs> so glad we didn't get into
0: that. But, uh, um, no, you end up with, you know, yourself, you're having to, especially when you're on the road, you're having to deliver a story every day. So you end up working some ridiculous amount of time and yep. then you get that time back when you come back. Um, and yeah, so you're thinking of new ideas, you're thinking about what's an interesting thing you're constantly having to, you know, especially when you have those days coming up, you're thinking ahead. So you're like, okay, uh, it's a Canucks practice day. So I'm going to talk to this guy and this guy. And then I'm also going to talk to this guy because I think he's got an interesting thing to say about the story I need to date right. two days from now. Hopefully I can talk to one of the coaches, you know, you're trying to build stuff and you, so you start, you know, you're working on the story that you're pushing out today, but then you're also thinking about what are the things that I'm working on down the road. And, um, um, yeah. So you end up just kind of, you get into this flow and then you also have to learn how to build time in for yourself because otherwise your brain's going to explode. And yeah. You go for a swim or you go for a walk around town. You try to learn a bit about the city you're mm-hmm. in and, and get a sense of what's around you. And I mean, I, People ask me what my favorite city was. Hilariously, actually, it was Winnipeg when I was on that road trip because I got one of the nicest. It was, it, was,
1: it was the last stop. It was
0: well, but it was also I got one of the nicest six days of the year in Winnipeg. Yeah, like it was just a beautiful day, and I got I did a fair bit of walk. I like walking. I walked around a fair bit. A friend of mine used to live there, so he'd given me a couple of places to check out to you know, coffee and have some lunch. Yeah. And yeah, it was. Awesome. It was. Yeah, and then and then like and then and then you're back to the rink. You know, and you're thinking about what's the next story going to be, and what, what what do people want to know, and what do people what are people curious about, and what am I curious about, and what are, what do I think's been missing? You know, I mean, that's the other one is that you come into a job like this, uh, you find yourself thinking, okay, well, what it always what it always, I always think could have been done better because we all have opinions. Everyone yeah. says, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, like, so you say, okay, well, why don't I do that, or what a you know so. Yeah, it's a bit of a rambling answer. I don't remember where well, we started.
1: No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to following your journey. And if, uh, if anyone listening, um, you have Patrick's here. If you have any story ideas or Absolutely. if you've ever wanted to uh, get certain answers from players, yeah. uh, pitch it to Patrick. Um, before we get out of here, I do want to... I always forget to do this, and my producer gives me crap. Um, I want to tell people to go to iTunes and uh, rate and review the podcast. It's important. It's very important. It gets you it's, up the list. It shoots me up the list. It's good. We've got 400 reviews already. Five stars. 400? 400, five stars. Any one star? So we're pretty prestigious. There's a couple one stars, but I think, you know, those are just so we remain modest. Um, I don't want to go in my doll, head. You, you went and put those yourself? Yeah. yeah I got to keep myself in check. Um, but it'd be great to uh, get more of you out there, uh, leaving positive reviews, hopefully. And uh, if you've enjoyed the show, I don't want to... Um, be telling you what to do if you didn't like the show then don't leave a five-star review but um another thing is this might be kind of silly because you're already listening to the show but the podcast is on spotify now so if uh if that's your cup of tea and you've been listening there through other mediums and spotify is better for you go check it out there as well and you can follow the show so that's big leaks big time uh patrick this was a lot of fun man i'm Thanks, glad buddy. we finally got to do this uh people can follow you at rising action no, on twitter and pitch you story ideas and uh recommendations for cities when you're on the road
0: i also also instagram patty at patty j on the road is is my work Instagram. check out all your ties and all of your uh various outfits try, so trying to do my best philipovich out there you know
1: i've uh, i've been enjoying it man um this is a blast let's do this sometime again soon all right buddy On Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash